But what do we discover in chapter three? It's those living near their house. So the best I can picture, Egypt is like many third world countries now. If you've been to third world countries, you'll see a gated community and then you see like castles. I mean, these houses will blow your minds. And right on the other side of that wall of the gated community, even using that wall is houses that are shanties. And, and it'll go for a mile of, of shanties. Now they have their nice road. They leave and get onto the freeway and, and so forth. But all those people work inside, you know, as the, the, the employees, all the various, they come right outside, just go around the gate. They get to come in as one of the employees and they work there. And that seems to be the case here. So even though at one point the Hebrews back with Joseph was way over in the land of Goshen, it seems like many of them now have come over and they probably live in, in much lesser houses around the great houses of the, the rich Egyptians. And so just go to their, their, those people that you work for, that you know you live right next to them and ask them. Of course, we know that this prophecy really goes back a lot further than 430 years. It goes all the way back past Joseph, past Jacob, past Isaac, all the way back to when Abraham was probably 50, 60 years old. Remember, he didn't have any kids in in Genesis 15, and he said, I guess Eliezer, my servant's going to get everything in my house. He'll be my oldest son that I'll inherit. And God said, no, go look at the stars of heaven. That's how many kids you'll have. Abraham believed God has accounted him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6, very important verse. And then he goes, he's waiting for God. God said, cut the animals in half and, and we'll make a agreement. You keep your half, I keep my half. That's the way they did it in those days. But God didn't show up. Abraham fell asleep. And then God went through by himself saying, I'll keep my half, you'll keep your half. That's how the covenant works. I don't count on you at all. I'll do it all. But he has this nightmare. And in this nightmare, he realizes his children are going to be outside the promised land as slaves, horribly treated for 400 years, and he wakes up. And in that, though, when he's talking about this, he says, however, there is one light at the end of the tunnel in Genesis 15, 14, Also the nation whom they serve, I will judge after they shall come out with great possessions. So when they return to the land after those 400 years, they'll have great wealth. So now we see this prophecy fulfilled. I love prophecy. I I have as much confidence in future prophecy as I've seen prophecy fulfilled. And boy, in our day, especially, you know, for over 40 years, I've been teaching about the, the last days and before the, the generation, before the rapture of the church. And, and just like it says, there's people that have been listening to it for 40 years going, you've always said that's going to happen. Oh, that's one of the prophecies too. <laughs> that people would have hard hearts about hearing about the prophecy saying, you've been saying the same thing for decades and I don't believe any of it anymore. Yeah, that's also a prophecy. Thank you for just fulfilling one. Um, but... Uh, it is, it is exciting stuff in here to see this ancient, hundreds of years old prophecy being fulfilled in their very midst. 
Well, verse 37 now. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses, well-known documented place to this day, and to Sukkoth. That's, that's a Hebrew word. Uh, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. So yeah, take a note, that word Sukkoth, um, or Sukkot in the Hebrew, it's the word for tabernacles. And this is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called Sukkoth. So my guess is they went from a real established, ritzy, um, wealthy city of Ramesses, and they're heading towards the edge of the town, and it's a tent city. So when travelers come, they sort of park it there. <laughs> they didn't have hotels and motels like we do today. So they just, you know, bed one type. They all had their tents. And that's where the foreigners were all staying. And no doubt there were hundreds of thousands, millions maybe, of, of foreigners that were living there for a season and uh, doing business and whatever. So they sort of went to the, the city there, the tabernacle area, as they're heading out. And he lets us know at this time, there's 600,000 men. Why is that? Because in chapters, in Numbers 1, Numbers 11, Numbers 26, they do this counting. It changes a little tiny bit as they do it each time. But each time it's 600,000 men. And we discover in Numbers, it's those 20 years old and above. So we're not counting the kids 19 years old and under. We're not counting the women and, um, and so when you know there's a lot more women and children, there are men, you're easily, I mean, if you just say, okay, 600,000 children, 600,000 women, but in every society to this day, there's always a lot more women, usually double so, doubly so. Um, and so there's probably 1.2 million women of that age. And then of children, I mean, they had a lot of children in those days. Every couple, um, you know, would have dozens of children. So but say they had four children each. I mean, now, now you're, you're looking easily at a number now closer to three million. But somewhere between two and three million people is, is the indicator that we're being given here. We'll talk, more, we'll talk more about that when we get to numbers. But notice in verse 38... A mixed multitude went up with them also, and their flocks, and their herds, and their great, a great deal of livestock. So we weren't even counting the Egyptians and all the other nationalities, probably dozens of different other nations who are saying, man, I want to be with God and with his people. So you, you've probably got hundreds of thousands, and they in particular had a lot of flocks and a lot of herds and a lot of livestock, these people who were from other countries that were living in the Egypt area. And they baked, in, in verse 39, they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened yet, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So, interesting here. He doesn't say that they had unleavened bread. But he said they had leavened bread. But because they had to go out in haste, they didn't have time 
to prepare it properly. Now, as we go back in Exodus 12, verse 34, remember what God said there? We just read this verse, that they took their dough before it was leavened. They had leavened dough. They had yeast in their house. But remember back in verse 15 of Exodus 12? Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off, exiled, put to death from Israel. They didn't eat any yet because they didn't have it. But I love this fact that they, they weren't fully obedient. But what did God do? He made the circumstances in such a way that they couldn't disobey him, even though they hadn't fully obeyed him. God does that kind of stuff sometimes, doesn't he? You know, for example, you have a, a, a young Christian who is really trying to walk with the Lord, but he has all his tight friends that he's had in you know, elementary school, and now he, maybe this person's in high school, and he has all these friends that are doing everything wrong, and he's trying to resist temptation, but he, he's hanging out with them every day and every night and every weekend. You know, I'm going to the party, but I'm not going to drink. You know, I'm going to go there, and all my friends are going to be doing their sinful practice, but I'll be over in the corner by myself resisting. Well, it, it just doesn't really work. So often, God just arranges it so all these non-Christian guys just don't call the Christian guy up anymore and let him know where they're going or what they're doing. So God brings the coincidence or brings the circumstances to help him obey. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33, you know that. Bad, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or bad company corrupts good character or bad company corrupts good morals. So um, God is helping them. And remember what leaven is, right? Leaven represents that sinful life. So for after they're gone for seven days, the number of completion, they're not to have leaven after the Passover. And, um, and this is, a, again, a, a great point, but they did have it. Now, later on, they wouldn't. But at this point in time, they didn't quite get it that all the yeast has to be gone permanently out of the house. They did have yeast in the house, but they didn't eat, they didn't eat leavened bread because they didn't have time to, to get it cooked and, and uh, to get it working. Well, in verse 40 now, now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. But remember back in Genesis 15, he told Abraham 400 years, four generations but it ended up being an extra 30 years. I, I, I just, you know, obviously just reading between the lines, this is just my opinion. It probably isn't not true. I, I don't know if it's correct or not. But as I read this story, I remember in my teenage years, and I was thinking, okay, Moses at 40, really since God was in it, but it wasn't God's timing, but then he's gone for 40 years. And then he comes back when they're now there 430 years. So maybe, possibly, if Moses had been in God's timing and God's way at 50 rather than at 40, God would have used him 
to deliver the children of Israel. But because God had to make him the most humblest man on earth, it took an extra 30 years that people had to be in bondage. Which makes sense to me, because when I study the Bible, I, I realize, as the Proverbs talks about, that your sin does not just affect you. You know, it affects your marriage, it affects your kids, it affects the church, it affects those who love you, right? We, we, we're not isolated. When we move, we move others, good or bad. So it, I don't know. That's a speculation on my part. But verse 41, and it came to pass at the end of 430 years on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So it appears from God's point of view, not knowing, but the day that Joseph stepped into the land of Egypt as a slave, from that moment till this moment, has been 430 years. So some say, well, they weren't slaves for the first 30 years. <laughs> he said they would be slaves for 30 years, or for 400 years. So maybe the, the time that Joseph was there and, and they had favor for those first 30 years before they eventually became oppressed. So there's different ways of calculating it. But either way, God's saying, <clears throat> you guys don't know, but I, I made this happen on the exact day of the anniversary of when you guys came into Egypt. Well, in verse 42, it is the night of the Solomon observant to the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This, that night of the Lord, the solemn observance. He says it twice there. Did you catch that in verse 42? A solemn observance to the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance. So he says, first of all, it's solemn observance to the Lord. Then he said it's a solemn uh, observance of the Lord for all the children of Israel throughout the generation. And of course, in the New Testament, we know this is really talking about the cross. They're partaking of the lamb by faith. On their door is the cross and the blood. And they believed the word of the Lord that would bring judgment upon the Egyptians, but bring deliverance to them. And as they are partaking of this meal, that there's just to be this, I don't want to say heavy spirit, but there's this very sense of awe and reverence that this is a moment. Boy, I could tell you my testimony of when the Lord led me into salvation. And it's a solemn ordinance, a moment. I know for a lot of people who, um, I remember back when I was on staff at Verizon and, and the assistant, hey, we're going to go around during our morning devotional and everybody's going to give their testimony. And these guys were all ex-hippies, hell's angels. You know, <laughs> so they were a pretty rough group. And they all had stories, you know, that would just completely blow your mind. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this, you know. Um, and then my story was not very dramatic. But I clearly, it was, it's still to this day a solemn observant in my own heart of when God said, enough, you're mine. And my heart was yielded completely to the Lord. It is a, a wonderful, joyful ordinance, isn't it? 
Well, in verse 43 now, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when he has been circumcised him, then he may eat of it. And a sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. And one house, it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all of his males be circumcised. And then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native of the land. He becomes a true Israeli. For no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Not for foreigners. It's those who will submit, those who will receive, those who will be a part of the family, even though they're a stranger from another country, they come into the house and they become a part of the family in the house. In those days, you had servants and they stayed out in the barn or you, they stayed out in the employee housing, right? If you grew up on a farm, they're very common. I grew up in Central California. And so you, you take the mill, you know, you make a big, mama makes a big mill, but then she has a portion of it she takes out to the, the guys who work in the field or take care of the farm or whatever. No, 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 you don't do that. They all come in the house. They're a part of the family. They're a part of the community. They are as committed and submitted and obedient to God as an Israeli is. If they're unwilling, then you got to tell them, absolutely not. You cannot come in. You cannot take one bite. You cannot be a part of this really, for their own protection. Boy, isn't that true of us in the New Testament, right? Paul says, take communion in a worthy manner. Well, one, of, one way to take an unworthy manner is not to be saved. <laughs> I think that that's a real mockery because this is a solemn moment of observance to us when we take communion, isn't it? Where we are remembering our Lamb, Christ, and we are coming ourselves as unleavened bread with a sincere heart, having turned away our wickedness and coming in purity to God. That's what's supposed to be happening in that. And so often people want to come in from outside and we say, you know what? Are you a part of the family? If you are a part of the family, then be a part of the community. So as a part of the community, have the same heart that we have. Have the same spirit we have. And don't just be a part of the community, but what? Come on inside and be a part of the family. Then real quickly, just to make a note, not one bone shall be broken. Boy, John realizes Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, didn't add that in. But uh, they mentioned it, but they didn't explain it. And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 31 to 36, 
they talk about it, how the Pharisees come saying, break all their bones so they can suffocate and die, and, and we don't break the Sabbath because uh, uh, we're, we're here at the Passover uh, season. And um, they broke the legs of both of the, the thieves, but when they came to Jesus, they realized, oh, he's already dead. And they put a spear in his side, and out came blood and water. But John tells us this was God the Father protecting Jesus to be that perfect Lamb of God. Perfect Lamb of God, according to Scripture. In Psalm 34, 20, he guards all his bones. He, the Father, guards all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Amen. So, our communion is times 10 zillion, a holy ordinance, a special communion to the Lord, and it's a special solemn occasion of the Lord. When we come to communion, this is of the Lord, and this is to the Lord. This is your body that's been broken. This is your blood that has been shed. And Jesus, it's his table. That's why I love it in Matthew. He says, with fervent desire, desired to take of this with you. For three years, <laughs> I've been waiting. Well, we've had Passover every year, Jesus. Yeah, not like this, though. Now the fulfillment of it. So once again, Corinthians 5, 7, and 8. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be new lump, since you truly are unleavened. You unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Jesus, the Passover lamb. That's why we don't need a lamb as a part of our communion. Our sacrifice was Jesus. The lamb has is, is been crucified once for all times. Therefore, let us keep the feast, that of Passover and unleavened bread, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, which is us, right? Of sincerity and truth. So as we're coming to that time each month, the first of the month, we need to get the leaven out, right? Really the, the day before. <laughs> we need to start saying, Lord, is there some leaven, old leaven of malice, of bitterness, of anger, of doubt, of whatever it is. Lord, am I coming and far as I know, I have clean hands and a pure heart. And I'm coming to take the Passover in this way. And then he says in verse 15, 51, Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So he said it again. Twice he said, it's on the exact day, and it was meaningful to God. Of course, it's been hundreds of years, so they wouldn't have kept track of that. But... And then notice the very last word, armies. So Egypt, they left Egypt according to their armies. This word army, Saba, S-A-B-A, in the Hebrew, it's a very general word. It's translated many different ways. From host to company to army singular to armies plural to soldiers. It can be in a lot of ways. But in this case, um, it's just the companies. They were all put in their companies, right? And we're going to see that very shortly when they're all put in companies according to the 12 tribes. And maybe that's sort of what was happening here. 
they began to sort of order themselves according to the 12 tribes. Well, in conclusion here, number one, I think we've learned tonight, God keeps his word. It may be 430 years or much longer, even all the way back to Abraham, right? But he will fulfill his word. So we should never lose heart or waver in our trustworthiness of God's promises. Second Peter 3.9 said, For the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Secondly, God said the day will come when my judgment is on Egypt, and in that same day, the people will go out of the place from bondage. There's an exact day God has in his brain, right? I mean, before even one of the children of Israel was born, (laughs) Isaac wasn't even born yet, right? He was, a matter of fact, decades away from being born. Think about that. Abraham is 56 years old. We don't know exactly, but it was decades away before Abraham was going to be 100. And he said, oh, not only are you going to have a child, you're going to have as many as the stars of those heavens. And then there's going to be a time they're going to be enslaved. And then they're going to come out of slavery. And they're going to have a lot of money, a lot of wealth when they leave. And, and so when we think about God's mind, of course, it's on the exact same day. God can do all those kind of things. It should cause us to blow our minds. In 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 13, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away, the great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are uh, in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be discovered, are dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for the hastening and the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So in essence, when Peter wrote this, he was Abraham. 2,000 years later now, we're the children of Israel in the last moments of the last days, and that day God planned is right around the corner, guys. Second Peter 3.14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blemish. Third and final thing is do not grow weary. Number one, do not grow weary in waiting on the Lord. Number two, and number three, Hold fast our confidence to the end. I love those Psalms where David had to repeat it, right? Wait on the Lord. Psalms 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I think David was thinking, talking to himself, right? I think he was looking in the mirror. going, hang in there, David. I think that's what we have to do, especially in these last days. I was just talking to somebody this week, uh, Cheryl and I, somebody back on the East Coast and just talking about that. Man, this is nuts. You are, you are full of hate speech if you say that girls can only be girls and boys can only be boys. <laughs> but if you, you don't say there's a million genders, you're, you're, you're eventually going to be arrested. I mean, the cop's going to pull you over and 
say, can I see your license plate or your license and uh, registration? Okay, yeah, you, you know, you didn't do any laws breaking, but let me ask you, are there more than two genders? No? Okay, get out of the car. <laughs> I'm going to arrest you for hate speech because you, you, you're, you're a horrible, evil, oppressive person. Psalm 37, 9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For a thousand years, this earth we're going to inherit, and the millennial reign, then a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. Psalm 37, 4, wait on the Lord, keep his way. He shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. <laughs> we're going to see it, guys. Isaiah 40, of course, we know that one, don't we? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Hebrews 3, oh, and they shall walk and not faint. Hebrews 3, about holding on to our confidence. And Moses indeed was faithful in all the house as a servant for the testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. Interesting. Contrasting Moses and then the work that Jesus would do like Moses, but greater. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm till when? To the end. Hebrews 3.14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Hebrews 10.35, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. 1 John 2, 30, 28. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have what? Confidence and not be ashamed before him as his coming. God's got a day in mind, an exact day. Deliverance is going to come from this evil Egypt that we live in in these last days. And then on top of that, we will be delivered in a brand new body with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ah, oh, Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank you for the abundance of your word. We thank you for our hearts being passionately stirred as